This episode is brought to you by Audi Canada. The Canadian Medical Association has partnered with Audi Canada to offer CMA members preferred incentive on select vehicle models. Purchase any new qualifying Audi model and receive an additional cash incentive based on the purchase type. Details of the incentive program can be found at audiprofessional.ca. Explore the full line of vehicles available to suit your lifestyle. The Audi driving experience is like no other. The phenomenon of inappropriate prescribing that often occurs in the treatment of older adults, called a prescribing cascade, is important for physicians to be aware of, although it's not always easy to detect. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Executive Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Paula Rochon, who is one of the authors of a CMAJ practice article called Five Things to Know About Prescribing Cascades in Older Adults. Paula is a geriatrician at Women's College Hospital and the RTO Chair in Geriatric Medicine at the University of Toronto. I've reached her today in Toronto. Hello, Paula. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining me today. This is a really interesting problem. So can you start by telling us what is a prescribing cascade exactly? Well, a prescribing cascade is something that I first saw uh, in clinical practice when I was working as a geriatrician in the long-term care setting. And it occurs when a drug therapy is prescribed, when a side effect later develops, and as a result of that, the provider prescribes additional medications to treat that side effect without realizing that it's uh, related to an earlier medication. And this in turn puts the individual at risk for further drug-related problems and complications. What are some noteworthy examples that you have seen perhaps in clinic? Well, I've I've seen a number of them. And I I think when I go back to when I I first started recognizing this problem, I remember, uh, again, in the long-term care setting, being asked to see uh, an older woman who at that time had what was recurrent and very painful gout, you know, and as as I think you can imagine, that's not a a pleasant sort of thing to have. And after going through her medications, it it looked like perhaps this gout was being triggered by a diuretic therapy that she was being given to treat some very mild leg edema, you know, so she had a bit of swelling and her physician would, had started her on um, a diuretic to treat that swelling. And by figuring this out, Uh, And I must say, it wasn't something that I figured out immediately. It took a while before we sort of saw this pattern. We realized that this was really a prescribing cascade. And when we were able to recognize it, we were able to stop the diuretic and were able to prevent the further episodes of gout developing. And, you know, we were able to find other ways to treat uh, the edema that she had uh, that didn't involve a medication. So it's kind of interesting because the fact that this person was in long-term care meant that it was somebody that we were able to see over time and to be able to see this develop. But it it did bring to my attention uh, the fact that the sequence is often not recognized because it's something that develops in weeks and months. And uh, people might often say, oh, in an older person, perhaps a little bit of swelling might not be unusual, so they, they may think it's, it's age-related and just dismiss it. And it's also not really recognized as something that would necessarily 
be drug related. So people don't really make the connection. Uh, but I guess, you know, when you would see people over time and you had a chance to look for patterns, that's where things like this became apparent. So I'm curious, you said it took a little while to figure it out. And it seems to me like you need to be a bit of a detective. So how did you manage to figure it out? Well, in this particular case, I, I think I saw that individual more than once, you know, I, I must say before I was able to identify that sequence. But it, it made you realize that it's really important to always look at medications, which is you know something I think especially people working uh, with older people know it's really important to look at medications. And it's important to look at the sequence of things uh, in terms of the way they're prescribed, because that gives you a clue. You know, what were you on first? Then what happened? What did you get put on next to be able to help understand that? Uh, and in, in fact, there was a very interesting paper that was led by Katrina Piggott, who talked about using um, process maps to help identify this sort of thing. So you're able to basically illustrate and draw little sketches and figures about sequences of events to see how these patterns might emerge. Uh, because I think, you know, if, unless you think about it and sort of ask specifically about it and look for sequences of events, it's very easily missed. And are prescribing cascades very common? Do we know how common they are? So I think prescribing cascades are really common. When we first started looking at this, I think we identified about uh, three different prescribing cascades, and that's what got us thinking about it. But it's a pattern that you see so often if you really look for it. And when we wrote about it a couple of years ago, I think we, we identified over 20 different prescribing cascades. As new therapies come on the market, they'll continue to be identified uh, because it's it's sort of it's a pattern that keeps repeating itself. We've also, uh, when we've looked at prescribing cascades, we initially uh, were looking at a drug leading to a side effect that was, that was missed. And then as a result of that uh, new medical condition and another drug prescribed, we've also realized that it, it also relates to drugs that are being given or, or taken over the counter. So it's not just a prescribed medicine. So there's many of these that, you know, as a physician, uh, you may not see unless you really ask about what other kinds of medications uh, an individual is taken. And it can also lead to the uh, use of a medical device. So, you know, the, the piece that we've talked about is, is one component of the prescribing cascade. And there's many such prescribing cascades, but there's other pieces to it as well that I think are important. So let's just stick with, um, with drugs. Can you talk about whether prescribing cascades contribute to polypharmacy in older adults? I think they are a big uh, component of polypharmacy. And in fact, when you think about polypharmacy, one of the definitions of polypharmacy is something called problematic uh, polypharmacy. And that's when drugs are used, multiple drugs are used in a way that isn't really appropriate and isn't providing benefit. And when you look at the components of problematic poly polypharmacy, one of the components is when a medication is being uh, prescribed as part of a prescribing cascade. So you know, not only does that lead to polypharmacy, but it's part of the definition of problematic polypharmacy. And of course, you know, polypharmacy is such a big issue uh, for older people, especially women. And so by thinking about the prescribing cascade, that's one way 
to focus attention on, on drug therapies that could potentially be stopped and therefore could reduce the problem of polypharmacy. So I wonder if um, you've given us one example from your own clinical practice, but what's kind of a really, really common prescribing cascade that leads to polypharmacy? What sort of chain of events might we see in a hypothetical situation? Well, one of the ones that I think is a pretty common one is if you can imagine, you know, somebody comes in with some, some sort of arthritis and they're having problems, you know, say with their knee, and they may get uh, prescribed a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory type drugs. You know, that's something that would happen or could happen fairly commonly amongst uh, older people in particular. And what may happen in that scenario is you may see an elevation of blood pressure that may happen over time. These things don't usually happen immediately. It's, it's over weeks and months that this might be noted. And an older person coming in with an elevated blood pressure you know, again, that might not be thought of as being unusual. People may uh, may think that it could be associated in part uh, with age and therefore would put them on an antihypertensive medicine. And that, of course, could put people at risk for further problems uh, that may cause potential harm. So that's an example, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug uh, leading to hypertension and therefore the initiation of an antihypertensive, I think is an example that is one of the common ones. And you can imagine that that could be uh, the result of a prescribed medication or it could potentially be something taken over the counter. Yeah, I imagine that is very common. So what's the best way for physicians to prevent prescribing cascades in the first place? Well, I, I think when, when you're thinking about um, prescribing, you know, I think you always need to think about, you know, when you're starting the drug is, you know, is this drug needed at all? So if you're, if you're thinking about somebody showing up, for example, with um, something like arthritis discomfort, is it possible that you could uh, think about a non-pharmacologic approach? So that would be an obvious sort of place that you might want to start. But if you are uh, thinking about starting a drug therapy, you obviously want to pick uh, something that has the fewest potential side effects associated with it and using the lowest dose that you potentially need to do. So that's sort of one of the things that you might be doing going forward. But if you're thinking about the, the prescribing cascade and when you're looking at a person who's in front of you and you're, you're thinking about their medications, I think it's important to sort of stop and always sort of look at the medications and you know wonder, uh, if these potentially could be leading to a prescribing cascade. And if they are, uh, you would, the way you might identify it is by understanding the sequence of events that has developed in terms of uh, how that came to be. And then you'd have to ask, you know, take a look at the initial medication, like for example, in this case, the NSAID. And you might ask, you know, first off, do they need that medicine? Is it something that they need at all? Could there be a non-pharmacologic approach could the dose be lowered or is there another therapy that could be used instead that wouldn't result in such a prescribing cascade? So I think it's, it's important that people think about whether they might potentially be causing a prescribing cascade in terms of meds they might be thinking about prescribing or also looking to identify ones that may already exist and therefore what they might need to do to potentially reverse that process. 
I find that interesting. And just to share a little thing of my own is I'm in my late 40s. I take ibuprofen on the regular for chronic arthritis. I told my family physician about this and she said to me, but you need to bear in mind that if you take those drugs, they put you at risk of hypertension. So I wondered if it's prudent to talk to patients and even caregivers of older adults and educate them to be aware of this phenomenon as something that they might need to think about in the future. I think that's a very uh, important piece that we must think about doing. I think it's very important to involve uh, patients and where they're involved caregivers in that whole process. So making people aware of what some of the potential issues might be related to the drug therapy. So if that were to occur, they would know uh, perhaps what it might be related to and allow them to ask questions about their medicines. So I I think that is a really important thing that you uh, want people to do. It's also, I think, one of the things that strikes me is often it's difficult uh, for people to remember, for example, why their drugs were prescribed and when they were prescribed. And so if you knew that information, you could often understand, you know, perhaps the sequence of events, you know, what you were prescribed first and then what happened next, which would make it easy to start to see some of these uh, problems emerge. And uh, I think um, that relates to the way we prescribe and very helpful for patients, for example, to have the list of their medications, to have the dates when they were started, and to have an understanding of uh, the kind of benefit that they expect to get from those medications, but also some of the common side effects. uh, So they're aware of of these things. I always wonder how easy it is for people who are on a fair number of medications to keep track of them and when they were started. So I'm thinking about somebody who was admitted to hospital and a medication was started on discharge or started by a specialist that the family doc doesn't know about and how feasible it is for them to keep track of which doctor prescribed which medication, but probably useful for them to do that, right? Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. And we obviously have systems to do this. We have electronic systems that we can use and we should use for this purpose as well. But I do think it's helpful for patients to have that information wherever it is feasible because, you know, they're often the ones that know a lot of this background information, you know, why it was started and when and the circumstances. And so I think it is really important for them to see that. And also when we we think about prescribing cascades, they often happen, you know, in my view, when care becomes a little bit fragmented, shall we say. So for example, uh, one of the ones that we talked about a lot or, or early on we wrote about that I thought was important was um, the use of cholinesterase inhibitor uh, medications for the management of um, for dementia. And one of the complications related to that is that people uh, often developed urinary incontinence, but it would happen you know, down the road, you know, months down the road. But what might happen is an individual would be referred to a urologist to have that evaluated. And so they were sort of, you know, somewhat outside of the of the initial decisions around the therapies. And they may go on and uh, suggest investigations and, and further drug treatment without it necessarily going back and tying back necessarily to the medications. And so it's it's important that sort of this sequence of events is always brought back and brought to people's attention. Because I think these prescribing cascades are more likely to happen 
when it's, it's different settings uh, involved, settings of care and different prescribers also involved in the process. So it is complicated, um, but I think there are things that we can do to help uh, prevent them and when they're identified to make sure that uh, where it makes sense that they're reversed. Now, if a, a physician's done their detective work and they've identified a prescribing cascade in a patient, determining that the symptoms are in fact an adverse reaction to a prescribed drug, what's the next thing they should do? Well, I think that um, the first step is they think they need to recognize it and they need to decide what the appropriate approach might be. So in some cases, it may make sense uh, that they recognize it, but it's something that they decide that they need to uh, continue with. In, in other cases, it may be that they can take other options to sort of minimize the side effect. So for example, if we're looking at uh, the, the one I just mentioned about cholinesterase inhibitors uh, leading to incontinence, you know, the decision might be uh, around the use of the cholinesterase inhibitors. You know, did it provide benefit? And if it was providing benefit, then maybe uh, the decision would be that therefore we will treat the incontinence and that's gonna be how we're gonna focus our management. But it, if it wasn't providing the benefit that you wanted, then people may go back and question the need for the original drug. So I, I think physicians have to take the information and then customize it to what the best approach and answer is uh, for that individual. So in the case that uh, you mentioned earlier around uh, uh, the idea of an NSAID being used uh, to treat uh, some, let's just say some knee discomfort, you know, you, you, would, you could look at that and if a person was on an NSAID for this knee discomfort, ended up getting some hypertension, were put on an antihypertensive, and you look at that scenario and you said, goodness, um, that knee discomfort could be managed with the non-pharmacologic approach, you know, maybe it was exercise or something like that and I don't need this drug, then you're able to uh, stop the medicine for the hypertension and stop the NSAID and take away those additional risks. And, and that would be of great benefit to the person. In another scenario, maybe it means if you feel that they do need some of that medication, maybe they could just reduce the dose and that may minimize the impact in terms of hypertension. Or in some cases, maybe the, the discomfort could be managed with a different uh, sort of uh, medication, like perhaps an acetaminophen could be adequate. So people have to kind of customize their response to the individual. There's not always a single right answer, but the important thing is I think people need to recognize it because in many cases, it can mean that uh, doses are reduced or drugs are stopped. And then um, that not only takes away the need for possibly two medications, but in some, in some cases, this cascade has gone further than just that. And there's been other medications in involved as well. Uh, so I think it's, um, it's really important to think about that and then to figure out obviously how you can minimize that impact. Now these articles, five things to know in practice are really handy tips for practicing docs to keep up to date. And often the people who write them have a particular agenda we want people to know about this condition or we want them to know these particular things about it. So what do you want physicians to remember about prescribing cascades that led you to write this article? I think we want physicians to think about it. And so success, I think, is that when you have a, a patient that you're seeing who maybe presents with a problem, you know, maybe it's somebody showing up with uh, 
With hypertension, you might be asking, could it be related to that NSAID that they're on? And you need to be starting to think about whether the medications uh, that the person is on could be contributing to this prescribing cascade kind of process. Um, because you, you really want physicians to sort of ask those questions so that they can relook at the medicines that people are on and make sure that people are only on the medicines that they need to be on. And that's such an important strategy for our reducing uh, polypharmacy, as we've talked about, but also the risks associated with polypharmacy. And it's particularly important uh, for older people and women who, who are likely to be on more medications. Paula, thank you for joining me today to talk about this short practice article and expand on what you've written in your one pager. It's been great to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for the invitation. Thanks, Paula. I've been speaking with Toronto geriatrician, Dr. Paula Rochon. To read the article she co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. Also, don't forget to subscribe to CMAJ podcasts on SoundCloud or a podcast app. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Executive Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening.